praise Lord for your apostle, St. Simon and St. Jude. One love, one hope impelled them to tread the way renewed. May we with zeal as earnest the faith of Christ maintain, be bound in love together, and life eternal gain. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Proclaiming the One takes a look at the upcoming readings for the divine service. Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors takes a look at the feast days, minor festivals, occasions, commemorations on the church's calendar. Today we're going to be looking at St. Simon and St. Jude. The church has set aside October 28 for its remembering and celebrating St. Simon and St. Jude. Uh, Pastor, we know very, very little about Simon and Jude, and uh, maybe that's a good thing, so we don't have to spend much time talking about the uh, details or the legends of what happened to Simon and Jude. We can focus on God's Word. Um, as I uh, read from the uh, Church Year Guide by Paul Bosch, little is known of these two disciples of Jesus. They are paired together in Scripture, Luke 4, 14-16, and Acts 1, 1-13. Simon is identified as the zealot, that is, a member of the radical left-wing political party of Jesus' day, working to drive the hated Romans from Israel. And it is also instructive to recall that Jesus' disciples also included Matthew, a publican, tax gatherer, a collaborator with Rome, and a politically right-wing zealot. Um, I've never heard that kind of a uh, description with regard to left-wing and right-wing religious zealots. Um, you know, I think I think uh, they're trying to make it look like Jesus put together this uh, coalition of all extremes and misfits. Uh, what what's your gut reaction to that, Pastor? Yeah, I think the challenge with that is that we're using modern-day language to try and describe something from the ancient church in the ancient time. And, and you know, um, the politics back then didn't fit into the same categories that they do now. They didn't have nation-states um, like we do today. They didn't have um, the same sort of political issues or even the same forms of government. Uh, and so I think using left wing and right wing with the connotations that it brings about today is not quite the right way to do it. Uh, I think maybe conservative theologically and uh, um, not conservative theology would be maybe a better way to say these okay. sorts of things. That was that was my gut reaction too. Uh, Bosch also says that Jude is sometimes referred to as Jude the Obscure. Both apostles were supposed to have died deaths of martyrdom. Simon is said to have been sawn in half lengthwise. His symbol is thus the saw or a fish on a hook. Uh, Jude's sign is a ship signifying the mission journeys which took him far from home. Jude is supposed to have been beheaded or pierced by a lance. Um, anything that uh, you want to add with regard to the um, history or legend of uh, Jude and Simon? I, I Not a whole lot. I mean, I think 
the things that we know are very much secondhand. They're not from Scripture, and we don't hear a lot about their lives. And I think sometimes that's a good thing because uh, we live in a world where it's very easy to um, build a cult or a, a following around particular people and to uh, try and study their lives rather than focusing our attention on Jesus, which is where our attention ought to be. And so uh, I think the thing that we need to know is that these two are apostles. They saw Christ face to face. They heard his preaching. They watched the resurrection uh, and uh, then went out and faithfully preached and taught about it in such a way as that they could become obscure. Uh, yet the Christ, um, the name of Christ has expanded and uh, gone across the entire world as a result of that preaching. Well said, well said. The Manual on the Liturgy for LBW, page 40, uh, has this one little note that I thought was interesting. Tradition says that Simon and Jude labored together in Persia and were martyred there on the same day. Thus, the two are celebrated together. And I hadn't heard that as well. Uh, regardless of what those uh, traditions are, we have uh, several minor festivals that kind of get bunched together right at the end of October and the beginning of November, especially as uh, Lutherans and we celebrate Reformation Day and then All Saints Day. So we got all this stuff kind of coming together. Simon and Jude oftentimes get lost in the mix. October 28th, very close to October 31st, and since we have the tradition of celebrating Reformation on the Sunday on or before October 31st, Simon and Jude rarely have an opportunity to have their day. And uh, as Vicar pointed out as we were uh, prepping for our program today, the readings for this, pro uh, for this particular day are absolutely awesome. So, uh, without further ado, the Gospel reading for St. Simon and St. Jude, October 28 on the Church's calendar, John 15, 12-21. Vicar? Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. All right, great uh, gospel reading there, John fifteen twelve to 21. Um, 
I think most of the time this section is taken as two parts, and I don't know, it'd be, uh, it'd be very difficult for the preacher to preach this entire text. It's more of a two-part sermon here. Uh, we've got the love, hate, um, you know, and John does this a lot. He's got a lot of uh, simple contrasts, light, darkness, life, death, love, hate. We've got a lot of that love-hate thing going on here. We've got the uh, amazing... A statement of Jesus where he says, uh, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I think that speaks to uh, so much of the theology that is rampant in American Christianity. The uh, semi-Pelagianism would be the uh, technical term for it. But where, where I want to pick up uh, and begin is in the second half of the text, Pastor. That uh, section... That is uh, beginning at verse 18, 18 to 21. It's become very common for Christians to say Christians should be in the world, but not of the world. It's very, very common uh, saying, bumper sticker kind of theology. And then when people say, where is that Bible passage where it says Christians should be in the world but not of the world, they can't find it. Because that phrase is a paraphrase of what Jesus is saying here in the second half of our text, uh, John fifteen eighteen to 21. So, Pastor, my question for you is, is that uh, bumper sticker type theology, a Christian should be in the world, but not of the world, although that is not a direct quote from Scripture, is that a faithful statement based on these words? Um, I'd say yes, as long as we understand it correctly. Okay, um, that's and, where and that's, I wanted you to go. Uh, that's always the challenge, right, is um, as Christians, God has placed us here in a world, and we can't just... Um, you know, drive out to the mountains and uh, build a big wall and all stay inside there and just hope for Jesus to come back tomorrow. I mean, he, he is coming back and uh, we shouldn't give in to the things of this world. We shouldn't um, get caught up in all the craziness of the world. Um, and yet we need to go out into that world and preach God's word faithfully as the apostles did, as the church has throughout all history. And uh, and so there's a, there's a happy medium here somewhere that I think we need to find. Does does this uh, phrase, be in the world but not of the world, does this sometimes lend license to people looking for an excuse to sin? Uh, well, I'm supposed to be in the world, uh, you know, so I need to go to the bar, I need to go to those sites on the internet, I, I need to see what sin is really like, you know, so I know what to avoid. Do you think sometimes... Um, people use that kind of a phraseology as an excuse to do what they want to do anyway? I, I think so. I think um, people are always sinning and are always excited to find a way to justify their sin. And uh, if we misunderstand that phrase, then yeah, that definitely is being used for that justification, which is why I think the second part of it then, but not of the world, uh, understanding what that means is probably more important in the sense that... Um, 
the the world loves sin the world loves death and uh, we're not a part of that we don't get caught up in that we instead love jesus and uh, we're in this world kind of suffering and uh, awaiting being taken out of this world and into the world to come when we'll see god face to face and so keeping again that tension in this whole thing is really important in the first half of our text uh Jesus lays out this uh, love-hate dichotomy, and then in that verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Why did the world hate Jesus, Pastor? Um, The world hated Jesus because he's God and because of sin and because of our guilt and shame and our desire to be our own God. Uh, And uh, and this is then seeing its culmination, of course. This is from John chapter 15, just a little while after that, when Jesus is arrested, uh, falsely accused, uh, tried by, um, what's the right way to say it, a pact court with a kangaroo pack, court kangaroo court uh, i almost called it a monkey court and i knew that wasn't the right he's tried he's found guilty he's sentenced to death and killed um wrongly for things that he hasn't done because of our sin and that's the hate that we have kind of um finding its fulfillment in the death of jesus causing that and um that's for our good, but it's still our sin. Jesus is preparing the disciples for what's ahead. And uh, you do not see this on a, uh, maybe maybe Vicar did, but you do not see this on a uh, slogan from the seminary encouraging people to study for the ministry. The world hated Jesus and the world will hate you too. Come and be a pastor. Uh, Come and be a Christian. We don't hear evangelism campaigns that way, but Jesus is teaching us the truth, and we're going to unpack that truth even more when we come back. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, St. Simon and St. Jude. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at St. Simon and St. Jude, Apostles of our Lord. We're looking at October 28 on the church's calendar. Our gospel reading for St. Simon and St. Jude is John 15, 12 through 21. We spent most of our time in our first segment looking at the second half of that text, and I'm still not done with that, Pastor. Um, Jesus seems to indicate that if you would just go along with what the world is saying, everybody would love you. And we have other places in Scripture where we are warned against being uh, hirelings as pastors or people pleasers as Christians. Is, uh, Is that really what Jesus is telling us? If you want to be loved, then just go along with the world. But if you uh, want to follow the truth, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, um, earlier in the chapter, he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. 
if we want to follow the truth, if we want to follow Jesus, expect to be treated rudely, even hated, by the world. Is that is that a fair way, or is there is there something more there, Pastor? No, that's the truth. Uh, Jesus is teaching the truth that um, the world does not want Christianity to be preached and taught. In fact, it pushes against it and persecutes against it all the time, uh, even in our world today. Uh, it's hard to get into those discussions because inevitably it falls into some sort of political thing. But uh, reality is, is that throughout all the pages of history, Christianity has been persecuted. And if you want to be loved and be happy and, uh, you know, all the things that are good in this world, then yeah, if you love the world, that will probably happen to you. And you might be happy at least for a while, but uh, the day of reckoning comes right soon. Uh, and it comes at the either our death or the return of Christ first, uh, when all these sufferings that the church has faced and all the happiness that the un- unchristian people have had uh, will be made right uh, when Christ returns and uh, restores his new creation perfectly. And uh, that's the thing that we look forward to as Christians. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, right smack dab in the middle of that second part, middle of verse 20, Vicar, Jesus gives kind of a little uh, proverbial statement. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And he uses that little proverbial statement to set up the last part of our text. A servant is not greater than than his master. Now, we are the servants. Jesus is our master. What point is he setting the stage for in the last part of our text? I think that he's kind of talking here about um, if he suffered, we can also expect to suffer just like he did. You know, he was persecuted. So we as Christians can also expect to be persecuted. One example that comes to mind would be uh, like when the devil went and tormented him, uh, out in the wilderness, for example, we can also look for a similar treatment by the devil. We are constantly tempted to sin. Uh, the devil is constantly trying to turn our eyes away from God and towards the earth. You know, like for example, Satan said, "I'll give you all these kingdoms if you bow down and and worship me." Um, that's the same kind of treatment that that we're getting from the devil, uh, our sinful nature, the world. So we're always, they're always trying to get us to focus on the world, not on Christ. This is not some obscure teaching of Jesus either. He, uh, he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount that uh, expect persecution and blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake. Let's, uh, let's go to the first part of this text here, Pastor. Jesus says, uh, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Throughout the Gospel of John, this theme of love is everywhere. For God so loved the world. Uh, in the epistles of John, we have uh, that emphasis on love. And Jesus is talking about a specific kind of love. I think so many times in our world today, uh, we leave love undefined. It becomes nothing more than an emotion. We lack clarity with regard to the whole idea of love. What kind of love is Jesus talking about when he says, um, uh, as I have loved you? Love one another as I have loved you. Pastor? Pastor? 
Yeah, uh, he's talking about what, what I mean, I guess this is maybe kind of a cheesy way we talk about it in our world today, but it's the agape love is the word that he's using here, which is a general overarching covering everything sort of love, a love uh, that involves um, compassion and care for the people around you. It's not the erotic love of, you know, like, uh, hey, that person is uh, attractive. It's not um, a, uh, a love that is self-centered, but it is a love that actually shows compassion and care for the people around you. Can we say sacrifice? love? I think th- that's probably a large part of it, especially when you read the context here where he says, love as I have loved you, um, which is that sacrificial love. And in fact, I think St. Paul uses this very phrase here when he's writing his letter. Um, is it Ephesians 5, where he talks about um, husbands and wives and their relationships and uh, how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's almost an exact quote here from this particular section of John's gospel. Vicar, when uh, when Jesus says that we should love, um, aren't all people like born uh, with love inside of them? Why do we have to be taught? Why do we have to be instructed? Doesn't this just come natural to all people? Uh, Man, you would really think so, wouldn't you? By listening to what the world uh, talks, you would say that everybody has love inside of them. That's really uh, not the case. I mean, we all have uh, emotions. We all have, for example, the chemicals in our brain that you know give us these types of uh, warm fuzzy feelings for each other but ultimately um, things that have to be taught would be like love of God you know we have evidence that God exists for example we can uh, we have the law written on our hearts we can see God's creation all around us but the uh, the revealed knowledge of God comes from the Bible. And what does the Bible primarily say? It says that we need to look to Christ, that we need to love Christ, we need to love God's word, um, we need to love God's commandments. That's one of the things that Jesus does. He was sent by the Father, and he loved everything that uh, the Father told him to do. He loved the word. Uh, Therefore, we should do the same thing that Jesus does. He loves the commandments of the Father. He obeys the commandments of the Father. So what are those commandments telling us? Love the word, and that's what we should do. And because loving does not come natural, God sends out of love his son into the world to love us with a sacrificial love. And he goes on now in verse 13 of John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, Pastor, is Jesus saying that he only died for those who are his friends? Is there some kind of a limited atonement being taught here? Or uh, are we to look at these words in a different way? No, uh, he does die for the entire world, as he also says in John's Gospel earlier on. Uh, so we can't just take these words and uh, negate other words that Jesus said. Uh, and yet he is teaching us how to live as Christians here. He says, um, 
I'm going to sacrifice my life for you out of love. And now, as Christians, you're going to do the same thing for the people around you. And we see this take place in a very literal sense in the early church as Christians like St. Peter uh, and St. Jude and St. Simon uh, and St. Paul are all killed for preaching God's word. Uh, And yet the word still goes out. Uh, We see it in a less literal sense, even in our world today, where we uh, sacrifice the things that we have to make sure that God's word can be preached and taught. That's, you know, offering takes place at church. Uh, I know that's maybe a, kind of a difficult way for us to think about it, but it is a sacrifice in that sense as well. But the love that is necessary um, doesn't save us. It comes out of the salvation that Jesus has already given. The friendship that we have with Christ is a result of the sacrifice that he has made for us. All these things are important to get in the right order uh, and to understand then, too, the implications of that as well. It's, It's almost as if Jesus himself anticipated how these words might be abused in a negative way. He's just using a common example from everyday life, uh, you know, if somebody would lay down their life for their friend, man, that's the greatest love that there is. And then he says, you know, you're my friend. And then he says, oh, but, but you didn't decide to be my friend. You didn't choose to be my friend. He goes right into this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Pastor, this construction of how Jesus teaches us here seems to be Uh, echoing what Luther teaches us in his meaning to the third article, the Apostles' Creed. Am I reading too much into this text? Um, No, I think it's really important that we see these places like this where the third article of the Creed is taught in the way that we confess it, because it's not just true because we say it in the catechism. It's true because the catechism teaches exactly what the scriptures say. And uh, this is why confirmation class is so important, and I'm sure this is the things that you teach them in confirmation class. When you read the third article of the Creed, you go here and you say, look, uh, Jesus is very clear about these things, um, that I have chosen you, not the other way around. And uh, to, to emphasize these key parts of scripture, uh, as they come up, uh, might, might seem a little bit redundant, but repetition is the mother of all learning. And this is how we grow and get a strong foundation in our faith. So, Pastor, put it all together. The world hates us. If you want to be loved, just go along with what the world says. But there's something better. And it is true love that comes from the Father. And that love results in the bloody death of Jesus who lays down his life for wayward sinners like us. And now God in his continuing love and mercy calls us into the family of faith and we are to love as Christ has loved us. Is is that a As we fa- suffer too. Is, And in the midst of it, don't expect anything less than our master. There'll be suffering and persecution along the way. Is is that kind of a Reader's Digest uh, nutshell of what we're being taught here in John chapter 15? 
Yes. Uh, I mean, it's a really hard thing to put into a Reader's Digest nutshell, which is part of the challenge. It's amazing the way that Jesus teaches it so clearly here in John's Gospel. But I think that's something that we need to recapture and re-understand. You know, um, for the last 400 years or so, the Church has had books like uh, Pilgrim's Progress, or uh, even before that, uh, if you read Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, things like that. These ideas that this is the Christian life and this is how it works— really were brought across much clearer, whereas now we have this idea where we say, well, I prefer this type of worship, and so I'm going to go to this church, and I'll just have to be there for an hour, and the rest of my life is up to me, and I can do what I want to. Uh, That's a real problem. It's a real challenge that we need to uh, get over. Yes, and uh, don't be looking for something purpose-driven. Christ has already given you purpose in the forgiveness of sins. When we come back, we're going to look at our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 26. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, St. Simon and St. Jude. The church has set aside October 28 for its uh, celebration and remembrance of St. Simon and St. Jude, the apostles. In our first two segments, we looked at not only the uh, apostles, Simon and Jude, uh, but more specifically, John 15, 12 to 21, a great rich, rich gospel reading, the appointed gospel for this particular day. The Old Testament reading is a long narrative. We want to dig into that. Jeremiah 26, 1 to 16. Vicar? In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord, all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen, and everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, Then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death, 
because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. What an amazing text there, Pastor. And uh, I, think, I think to every pastor who is uh, listening to this program or reads these words, these, these words are uh, convicting and comforting all at the same time. What, what do I mean by that, Pastor, when I say these words convict us and these words comfort us? Well, they're convicting because uh, this is always the temptation of a pastor is to not speak the truth because it's easier uh, more often than not to just let things be rather than to speak God's word of truth. Uh, and so in that way, pastors are always sinning. It's comforting in the sense, though, that we see that God is really the one at work in the word and that he's the one who's uh, accomplishing things and that even in the face of terrible um, suffering and difficulty like Jeremiah faced, God is there with us, sustaining us and uh, providing for us and will give us a way out of the difficulties of our sin in Jesus Christ. We, uh, if we had more time on this program, I would uh, pick your brain with regard to Jehoiakim and Josiah, uh, the the historical parts there. But we're going to skip over that uh, in this particular program. The bottom line is that at a particular point in time, in history, God gave the prophet Jeremiah a very specific message that he should preach. Now, this message was a call to repentance. And uh, God God tells Jeremiah that people aren't going to like it. But this is your message. This is your word. And then Jeremiah goes out and preaches the word. He doesn't worry about the ramifications. He doesn't worry about his own neck, his own skin. He is confident that what he is preaching is actually a message from God. Pastor, can a preacher today, and then by extension, the people who are sitting in the pews listening to the words coming out of the preacher's mouth, can a pastor today preach with that same conviction and authority, knowing that the words coming out of his mouth are not his words, but the word of God? Uh, a preacher can, uh, yes. Now, the thing we have to be careful with is to say they don't always do so. Um, the the way that a preacher today can be sure that their word is God's word is if it's actually based on God's word and is from the scriptures taken right out of there and pro- proclaimed in its truth and purity. 
Um, if it is something else, then uh, Jeremiah's book also gives us a warning about that as well. People who tell people exactly what they want to hear. That happened in Jeremiah's day as well. And if you, that's what you're doing, then no, you cannot be confident that that's what God wants you to do. God's word oftentimes is hard hitting and difficult to hear and think about and believe. And yet, uh, if it is teaching exactly what the scriptures say, um, then it is good for the pastor to say it. That's why we talk about things as sin. Uh, That's why we also talk about the gospel of Christ forgiving sin. So that's why it is important for pastors and people alike to read their Bible. The Word of God, which is the authoritative Word of God, which every sermon and Bible study and hospital visit, uh, etc., 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 should be based on. That way the pastor can be confident in what he says, and the people entrusted to the pastor can be confident as well, that they're not hearing a pipe dream, they're not hearing opinion, they are hearing the absolute Word of God. And this is shocking. It was shocking in Jeremiah's day. And it is still shocking today. Right smack dab in the middle of our text. And uh, I want to say it's in verse 9. Then the priests and all the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying all these negative things? Why, why are you doing that? Why are you doing Pastor, have you ever had anybody say, uh, wh- why are you speaking against the sin of cohabitation? Why are you speaking against the sin of gambling? Why are you speaking against the sin of gossip or the sin of coveting? Have you had people react to you that like, wh- wh- why are you talking about this stuff? Of course. And, and every pastor has when they're being truthful with God's word because People don't like hearing about their sin. People don't want to actually be sinners, and yet it is such an important thing for that reality for us to be sinners so that Christ can forgive our sin as well. Um, As Jesus himself says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but only the sick. And uh, we're sick with sin, and we need to admit that so that we actually go to the doctor and get the care that we need. Now, Vicar, there are many, many shocking things that are in this narrative that you read from Jeremiah 26, verses 1 through 16. God gives Jeremiah a message. Jeremiah faithfully preaches it. The people don't like it. And so the, the priests and uh, the officials and the people, they all get together and basically they put Jeremiah on trial. And they want Jeremiah to recant. They're going to kill him. They've got the death sentence. The threat is there. And so, to me, the most shocking thing of all is what Jeremiah does. What does Jeremiah do at this point? He tells them basically, you know, hey, I can't, I can't help it. This is the message that the Lord told me to preach. Am I supposed to disobey the Lord? Uh I think not. I think we all know what would happen. He says, uh, I'm in your hands. This is up to you. Um, But just know, if you punish me, if you kill me, then it's innocent blood. Basically, he's saying, all I've done here is preach the word of the Lord. I'm not the one that's going to be destroying the city or doing any of that. I'm just telling you, this is what the Lord says. 
if you keep on sinning, uh, you will be destroyed. It's not me. I'm not condemning you. This is the Lord. How many times haven't weak-kneed and lily-livered pastors, myself being one of them, backed down when the opposition got difficult? Uh, it is extremely difficult when people are attacking you, when people are upset with you, when uh, people who used to be your friends are no longer your friends, simply because you are speaking the truth of God's word to you. And the easy thing to do is to back off. Oh, I misspoke. You misunderstood me. This is what I really meant. But Jeremiah, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks the truth, says, do to me what you want. Kind of reminds me of the Three men in the fiery furnace or Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, the end of the story is awesome. The, the people do relent, uh, at least of their plan to kill him. Pastor, what word do you have for pastors that are going through this kind of a situation right now? And they are under attack. And... Maybe even they've been a pastor who've spoken, uh, preached God's word faithfully, and they've been removed from their parish. They've had their uh, paycheck stripped from them. They're uh, a greeter at Walmart right now or uh, selling French fries at McDonald's to support their, uh, their family. This story ends well. What encouragement do you have for the pastor that, humanly speaking, the story didn't end well? Yeah, I think uh, the thing that I'd say to start with is Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, I'd say this particular instance from the book of Jeremiah, and we haven't had a chance to talk about this and don't have time now, uh, really is setting us up on what to look for for the trial and death of Jesus, except the people are so stubborn in the trial of Jesus that they do not relent, and Christ is crucified and killed to forgive the sins of the world. And so we see this happen to Jeremiah, we see it happen to Jesus, and we know that it will happen to us as well. And God's promise in Jesus is, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. The uh, seeing Jeremiah as a type of Christ... I think is really crucial in here, and I'm glad that's exactly where you went. It doesn't always end, humanly speaking, well for us, but because of Christ, it will end well for all eternity. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minor, St. Simon and Jude. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back. Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors, St. Simon and St. Jude, Apostles. The church has set aside October 28th for the celebration of St. Simon and St. Jude. I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'd love to have you come visit us for worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school, family style for all ages in between. 
We also gather each Wednesday, 6.30 p.m., and it's on these Wednesday evening services where we have an opportunity to remember, observe, and celebrate many, many, many of the feast days and minor festivals that we've covered on our Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors uh, program. And so come and check us out. And uh, for especially for these minor festivals, many of the closest Wednesdays is where we transfer them to. And it is a great, great opportunity to have an extra opportunity in God's word. As always, you can check out all of our worship services. They're broadcast live 95.7 KNNALP right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, our uh, radio uh, services are also broadcast over the world wide web, thecross957.org. We have lots of uh, theological programming on uh, archived uh, KNNA theological programming, Pastor Poppy sermons with intrepid heart. How'd I do? There you got it. All right. That's Pastor uh, Moline's spot for his sermons. And so check it out. We'd love to have your feedback. And um, in our final segment, we want to dig into our epistle reading. The uh, first two readings were uh, much longer. This uh, reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Vicar? Blessed be God the f- God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Okay, we have a, a marvelous text here, the epistle reading for St. Simon and St. Jude Apostles, 1 Peter 1, 3-9. to uh, Pastor, these, these words are often read. They are oftentimes the epistle reading at a funeral service. Why, with what we know about 1 Peter and uh, the purpose of uh, the epistle 1 Peter, why is a reading from 1 Peter, and then specifically these words from 1 Peter, so appropriate as we are mourning the loss of a loved one? Well, uh, because it talks about our inheritance that we get that is imperishable, undefiled, undefiled, and unfading. And this uh, this inheritance that we receive is the thing that is promised to us in the waters of holy baptism uh, when we are very little. And finally, when we come to our death, that inheritance is received, uh, is is a possession that the person that we are mourning now in— 
has in their own possession. Um, they are now before God in his kingdom. They have no more suffering, sorrow, pain, or anything that uh, uh, this world brings about. Instead, they have received their reward uh, for their faith, and that's the inheritance we're talking about. Vicar, I'm going to put you on the spot. <clears throat> Two things have to happen for someone to receive an inheritance. Take a stab at it. Uh, let's see. First, someone has to die. Okay. Uh, second, there has to be a, uh, a will of some sort, something, uh, some connection that would mean that whoever died is bequeathing their belongings to you. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, you know, for, first of yeah, I mean, there has to be a death in order for there to be an inheritance. And uh, you need to be uh, named in some way, shape, or form, whether that's through the will or through the bloodline or whatever. You have to be in the family, in the family. And I think that key word inheritance, I'm so glad Pastor Moline uh, started out there, that key word inheritance is, is really the... Uh, the thing that holds this particular text together. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that we need to be born again or that we are born again into a living hope. Pastor, what does this born again thing have to do with the inheritance talk? And uh, I'm, ta I'm talking specifically here about being in the family. Uh, well, I mean the the born again. This is uh, this is a different word than is used in John's gospel for born again. This is actually a word that does mean born again, and he's talking here again about death. Um, that in death we die in this world, and yet we're born into eternal life. It's the thing that happens to us already in the waters of baptism. It's the thing that is then fulfilled at the moment of our death. Uh, this is the kind of talk that Peter is using here, um, and it is an important thing for us to understand because it is something that's ahead for all of us. We're all going to die, and we're all going to enter into some sort of uh, afterlife, and for the Christian it is being born again into eternal life and peace, comfort, and joy. Are you saying then that by virtue of our baptism— we are receiving the inheritance that is earned by the death of Jesus? Yes. Okay. It's that simple, and it is that clear. And, you know, the book of First Peter, uh, it's commonly understood that it's uh, very, very much like an early catechism. The book of First Peter is uh, written to Christians who are suffering uh, terribly, for the faith, and it ties in with, you know, both our Old Testament reading and our gospel reading for St. Simon and St. Jude, where it talks about the suffering that comes with making the good confession, the persecution that comes when you uh, go against the world, and here we have this encouragement that this salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Seems to me, Pastor, that uh, Jesus uses that same phrase, in a little while. In a little while, you won't see me. And then in a little while, you'll see me again. Um, one of our gospel readings for the season of Easter what little while is Peter talking about here? 
Uh, well, he's he's talking here about um, the little while that we have to live here in this world. Uh, we rejoice here on earth because God has saved us through the waters of holy baptism. Uh, and we have these various trials and difficulties testing our faith uh, uh, all the time, uh, persecutions, sicknesses, illnesses, uh, doubts, and yet we're facing these things only for a little while, uh, 70 years or by reason of strength, 80 years until finally God takes us out of this world of suffering, sorrow, and difficulty and into his eternal kingdom through our death uh, or, you know, uh, hopefully through Christ's second coming before our death. And that's the promise then that we have. It's just a little while and then things will be better. Vicar, there's an illustration that's used here uh, with regard to our faith and the genuineness of our faith. More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. What what is this uh, testing metal by fire genuineness? What what does this illustration uh, mean? How how are we to understand that? Um, I think this is kind of pointing towards the fact that nothing can really take our faith away from us. Now that's not to say you know for example once saved always saved or anything like that. Uh, but what I mean is that if we lose faith, it's because of something that we have done. We have cast it off. Uh, nothing outside of us can take our faith away from us. Uh, it will always be with us. Um, but gold, for example, will perish by fire. It will you know, melt and uh, go into a different state. It will be changed. Whereas our faith, which has been given to us uh, through the Holy Spirit, Nothing can take that away. Nothing can change that for us. Yeah, Pastor, when uh, when gold is heated and takes on a different form and a different shape and it melts, what floats to the top? Well, um, with any metal that you're um, melting at a particular temperature, what we call the dross floats to the top, uh, which would be the impurities, the things that shouldn't be there. And that's a good thing for us when we're forging metals because we can scoop those out and have a purer... Um, metal that we are going to pour into our mold or whatever uh, for our, our work. And so uh, that's the same sort of thing that happens for us here in this world in the suffering is that uh, the challenges and difficulties do cause us to reflect inwardly upon our sin and to confess that sin and receive absolution. And I, I don't want to be real careful here in that sense, uh, not that it's a progressive sanctification, it's not, but that's the reality of the world is that we look forward to what's to come and we realize that this world isn't really our eternal home and that there are difficulties here that we um, we don't want to deal with anymore. And it's not progressive sanctification, and suffering is not a means of grace. Word and sacrament are means Correct. of grace. But God oftentimes uses that suffering, the hotter the fire, so that the more gunk or dross in us floats to the top, God scoops it off, and the faith that's left behind, thanks be to God, is even stronger. And it can be a painful thing, right? <laughs> I, I just want to say that uh, it can be a painful thing. Stick your finger over the fire. Yes, that's a painful thing. Imagine as you your your body, your faith is getting cooked in the fires of suffering. And yet Christ, who has overcome suffering, death, and the grave, is with us and has already earned the salvation. And we just simply look forward to it in faith. Vicar, we need to bring this to a close. Would you pray the collect of the day 
for St. Simon and St. Jude. We pray. Almighty God, you chose your servants, Simon and Jude, to be numbered among the glorious company of the apostles. As they were faithful and zealous in their mission, so may we, with ardent devotion, make known the love and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Vicar Goodroad and Pastor Moline, I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, St. Simon and St. Jude Apostles, October 28 on the Church's calendar. We'll be back again soon. God's richest blessings in Christ.